Welcome to the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. I'm here today with my friend Shirley. She comes from an, a, the background of being an attorney for over 39 years. Shirley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. Yes, I know we're going to talk about some great content that people tuning in are going to be able to take some solid principles to improve their lives. So I'm excited about your, you sharing your expertise and your journey with us. Well, I'm looking forward to sharing. All right. So I, I do want to make sure that people tuning in know a little bit about your background. So I'll go over your bio. And if anybody, uh, if, if, if I'm off with anything, go ahead and let me know. And you just jump right in and correct me. I'm OK with that. So your undergraduate degree is from Lady, Our Lady of the Lake University here in San Antonio. That's correct. With business and an emphasis in accounting. Then you you segued into a career in, in the insurance industry at Aetna and USAA for over seven years. That's correct. And then you, you decided to go to law school at St. Mary's University. And from there, you have 39, over 39 years experience as an attorney with an emphasis on child custody litigation for 37 years. That's right. Quite the impressive resume. <laughs> Thank you that you would spend time with somebody like me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share what I have learned over my lifetime. Yes. Now, when you were growing up, did you ever see yourself as an attorney? Not really. I watched uh, Perry Mason and another lawyer show and always admired lawyers, but mm -hmm. never believed that that was possible for me. Wow. I came from a very modest background and didn't think I could afford to ever go to law school. Mm -hmm. Seven years of college is a long time. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Now, what inspired you? What would you say inspired you to become an attorney? Uh, a friend of mine suggested that I go take the LSAT because mm. I commented that that's what I had always wanted to do. And I just fell into preparing, taking the LSAT, applying to St. Mary's, and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. and what I love about that, that story is you get a chance to have a friend give some insight and, and be almost like a spur in your side to pursue this this dream even that you had as a child where you, you you even describe it as this almost this unreachable dream that was beyond you but you had a friend who believed in you enough to be that spur in your side to get you going to really to launch you in this 39 plus years uh, of a career as an attorney friends are remarkable yes now what unique challenge did you face in attaining your law degree? Working part-time and uh, being pregnant my last semester mm -hmm. while I chaired the Board of Advocates and carried 14 hours. I was busy. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're, you, were, you had a lot of responsibility. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Now, um, did you always do child custody litigation or what was what was the trajectory or what happened before then i had a general practice my first two years a mm -hmm. little bit of everything and then a young man came into my office and wanted to seek custody of his children he didn't think it was fair that he should be kicked out of his home because of the circumstances mm -hmm. surrounding the breakup of his marriage and i suggested that we would just 
go to a hearing and let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting custody of his children. Wow. And was there anything unique about that situation that really made you see that, hey, this is a calling that's moving you forward toward just um, child litigation? Well, actually, he had been attending Texas Fathers for Equal Rights meetings. Mm-hmm. And when he went back to the meeting and told the men that he had gotten custody of his children, they all started coming in to see me. And it just developed my practice mm-hmm. because these men uh, wanted their wanted custody of their children at a time when joint custody was not part of Texas law. Mm-hmm. And so my practice just developed. It just evolved there from um, from that first case. Mm-hmm. And um, was there anything unique about that case um, as far as helping him to be successful with the case? Well, I just um, figured that based on the information he gave me that he was really a good father and mm-hmm. that he deserved being able to spend time with his children. And so I had him line up all his friends and neighbors and mm-hmm. uh co-workers who all knew what he was going through and um we were going to go to court and just tell his story and yes. and um it ended up that he had enough information to give the judge to get custody of his kids mm-hmm. what impressed the principle that's impressed upon me in hearing that story is sometimes you do not know how valuable your reputation is and you, what you were, were doing in that case, you were helping him. Who knows your situation? Who knows you? And who knows your your marriage? Who can share about what's actually happened? Who can really be a witness or, a, or give a testimony for how um, how great of a, of a father you are? Exactly. And um, I call those cheerleader witnesses. Mm-hmm. And they come to cheer you on. And uh, he had so many cheerleader witnesses, and um, that makes such a difference is when everyone knows what a good job you're doing and can relate that to the judge, it makes a big difference in the decision that a judge will make. Yes. And for people listening in, I I want you to hear that principle right there, because when people know the kind of parent you are. And everything we do speaks volumes about us, the way that we speak to one another, the way we speak to our children, the way we're there for them, the way we support them. All of this is building this reputation that sometimes we don't even think about. This is how people view me. But um, those cheerleader witnesses, I mean, again, not that again, I don't have children. I don't plan. I don't have this plan of being in this situation. But I still think about what would my neighbors, how, how would they be my cheerleaders? What would they what do they know about me? What do they see in me? that they would be able to contribute to building my reputation. Well, that's part of life is mm-hmm. we have no idea how we are having a ripple effect yes. on people around us. Mm-hmm. And if we knew how deep and wide those ripples were going, it would just boggle our minds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, you know, in my insurance career, one thing that took place is I saw somebody who was really effective as a leader in, 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 in the role. And, it, and I asked her, I sat her down, and I just wanted to ask questions and learn from her experience. And I was asking her about what's helped her to be so influential. And she talked about being a servant leader and she'll do something as simple as fill up people's water bottles or their cups at work just to serve them and build them up. And I thought, that's so simplistic. Something that people actually could do for themselves. But her sharing that one principle with me 
Then I started doing it. And I just started doing it with my team, just serving, just filling up water. Not, it was free. It just took a little bit of energy and effort. But doing that, then other people started doing it. The other leaders of other teams. And then to your point about the ripple effect, I didn't know by asking this one woman leader this one question, what impact her answer would have on me and then also would have on others. Well, that's just like um, we never know what a smile will mean yes. to someone. And a smile costs us nothing. It's so mm -hmm. simple. And yet sometimes a person needs that to help them mm -hmm. get through their day. And we have no idea where they've been, what their day has been like. Mm -hmm. But just a simple smile or a comment, you know, God bless you, right. can make such a huge difference mm -hmm. to a person. Spot on. Spot on. Now, I do want to ask you, so as a woman representing men in child custody litigation, what is your experience like there? Well, I find that it's a real advantage for the jury or the judge to know that I'm a mom and that I am judging this man and saying that I believe that he is worthy to have that time with his children. And mm -hmm. it is also a comment on her parenting uh, without saying anything. The fact that I think that he's the better parent, I think carries a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a huge advantage for a man to have a woman representing him. Yes, more power to you. I love <laughs> to hear that because you get you have this almost this objective perspective that carries more weight in your setting. And um, but it also captures this principle because one thing you do is you you provide an analysis on the quality of parenting. Tell me more about what you're analyzing and looking at when you're looking at is this person a good parent, great parent, excellent parent? or even a poor parent? What do, you, what do you look at? I look at their interaction with their children. What do they do? Do they read to them? Do they take them out on outings? Do they know their children's friends? Do they know the, wow. chi the children's teachers, the doctors? Um, have they been to doctor visits, well, baby visits? Mm -hmm. What is their interaction with their child? And so the more interaction they've had over the years, um, whether that interaction has always been good or bad, the fact that they are there for their children mm -hmm. is one of the things I'm looking for. And then I look to see if the parent is only trying to use the children as a weapon to hurt the other parent. Wow. And how do you find these details out? Because you mentioned a lot of great content about, I mean, are, is that an conversation with the parent you're asking them about their teachers and you're asking them about the interaction or are you talking to the child as well or how do you observe and take all of this in primarily it's from the initial interview which usually lasts anywhere from two to three hours oh, wow. so i'm trying to get a lot of information about the parenting style and the motivation for seeking mm -hmm. custody of the children and when they don't have a good motivation, I decline the case and I give them the names of three or four other people that they could go see mm -hmm. that would be willing to take their money and, and represent them. But if they're using the children as a weapon, I'm not interested in representing yes. them. And if I don't think they have a good shot at winning, I just don't feel good about them spending their money for mm -hmm. a custody case because they are very expensive. Wow. You captured a point that that that's, that speaks about motivation matters, and so you're not you're even as an attorney you're not just thinking um, 
well, hey, make more money for me. Go ahead and take the case on. But if it doesn't sit right with you, you're completely fine rejecting the case. That's entirely correct. And I used to tell my clients, you can either spend your money on a custody case, paying me to be your lawyer, or you could save your money for your college education. And my child's going to college because I'm saving money for her. Mm -hmm. So you either save your money for your child's college education or you spend it on a lawyer. And so I just wanted them to realize that if you're going to spend ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars on a custody case, that they needed to understand that they needed to be really good parents before they made that decision. Mm -hmm. And how are you able to discern that motivation? Like, is that something that you see immediately, or at what point do you do you know this motivation is off? Little things that are sad. Um, sometimes you can hear it in uh, their direct answers that, well, they don't want to pay child support, they don't want to split the property. You can hear it that they just want to use this as a weapon against their spouse. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm primarily speaking of men because that's primarily what sure. I represent. Sure. But when they come in and they're genuine, they talk about their kids, they know everything about them, you, you know that it's coming from the heart. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't come from the heart, I'm not saying I always know whether people are being truthful or not, but I have been blessed with great discernment. Yes. And so at the end of a two or three hour conversation, I get a really good feel for my clients. Mm -hmm. And it's such a great principle of discernment when it comes to um, looking at and discerning um, the motivation. And it's, 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 it's fundamental in my industry as well, like for coaching. Right. It can't be just to look good in front of your friends. Right. It can't be just, oh, well, I want to make more money. Well, why do you want to make more money? Why do you want to have a greater role or a title? Why, you know, when you find the right why, the, the how becomes so possible. But when it's wrong, it's it's difficult to be able to help somebody to, to achieve a goal that doesn't actually even matter. Exactly. And especially in your world, it's like the goal of hurting somebody else. You just go, I don't even want to be a part of this. No. Maybe somebody else will, and I'll refer you, but I don't want my fingerprints on, on a motivation that is foul. Well, I look at it from the standpoint of when these children go down a path mm -hmm. with either their mother or their father, that's going to impact who they become. And so I take very seriously the fact that these children will be different if they live with their mom versus if they live with their dad. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a given because each parent has different parenting styles. And I just feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And that's why I say when your family is falling apart, we treat you like family at mm -hmm. my law office. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think immediately the first couple of things that stood out to me about you i think is your integrity i think one of our first conversations you had was i think you you called a reference of mine and you and you mentioned integrity was such pillar in uh the people that that you help on board with you know bni and um and so that stood out to me so it's part of your brand so i always think about you as integrity it's one of our first interactions but then the following interactions i've had with you were about you know you would ask this question do you know fathers are in good fathers who are not 
having this opportunity to be able to see their children. And, and I heard from you is you want to be their advocate. You want to help them. You want to help them to, ha to maximize their time with that father figure because we know how crucial it is. The, parents, the parenting role is in the development of the child. It is very important. And people laugh and talk about how unimportant fathers are. But I think in our society, we have got to come back around to realizing that both parents matter. And when dads step away from the family for whatever reason through divorce, mm -hmm. that how they interact with their children is critical um, for how those children grow up. How your dad treats you impacts a little girl on how she will expect a man to treat her mm -hmm. in her life. And a young man, how his dad works, his work ethic, his his love, his compassion, mm -hmm. all of those things right. will impact the kind of man he will become. And also, how that man treats their mother will yes. impact how they look at women. Mm -hmm. Now, and it, it's a... And that's crucial. I'm glad you brought that up. I, well, I'm glad you said everything you said about the, the role of the father. I think I'm going to go back and listen to this and take a lot of notes as I pass them on to the, the fathers in my circle. Now, you brought up the treatments of the father to the, to the mother. What do you pick up on in conversation or even in that interview um, with the, the way that the, uh, the, the father will speak to the mother of the children? Sometimes I find men who are very angry and want to put her down and, and criticize everything she does. And I remind them that he had seen something great in her when he met her. That's right. He would have never married her if yes. he didn't think she was a wonderful mm -hmm. woman. And so I remind him that even though some things are not to his liking and have disappointed him that he should not share those with the children or yes. verbalize those things to anyone mm -hmm. because the children will eventually hear that and catch on to that. And that's still their mother. Right. I don't care what she has said or done. The more he is negative towards her, the more that's going to harm the children. Mm -hmm. And that works both ways. Uh, even when men don't get custody of their children, when they're angry at the mom and mm -hmm. how she's parenting the children, that's going to impact the children because the kids always know. Mm -hmm. Even parents who think that the children don't know things, they know. Yes. They see it, they hear it, they feel it. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've heard it said often that children would rather be from a broken home than live in a broken home. Hmm. And so parents who are arguing and fighting are wow. staying together, quote, for the sake of the children, they probably aren't doing their kids a big favor. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the way that they treat one another, it, what, what stands out to me is the, the words we use in a setting that with the, with the spouse not even present, it speaks volumes. It does. And, um, and I, I, when I think about it, is, am I contributing to what's helpful or am I hindering what's happening around me? And that question of, how a spouse speaks about, or how a father speaks about the, the mother. And I, I love that you brought up the point of, um, that at some point in time, you loved the way that she thought. You loved the way that she, the decisions she made and she chose. And even when I'm officiating wedding ceremonies, I, I, I tell both spouses, and I tell the husband about the wife, I said, just so you know, your spouse makes, your wife makes incredible decisions. 
She chose you. <laughs> so that's a, that's a fundamental decision that you actually admire about her. And then let me also tell, let me tell the wife that your, your husband makes incredible decisions. So now aware of that, having an admiration for one another and, and, a, and really it's a respect, a respect for one another is a pillar part of a, of a great marriage. But even outside of the marriage, as you said, when the, the marriages are dissolving, but just because the marriage is no longer there doesn't mean the respect has to go out the window. We still need to have the respect and uh, treat other people well, because really to your point is it can hinder overall the, the, the overall family dynamic. I totally agree. And I feel like anyone who is disrespectful to the parent of their child mm -hmm. is lacking some self-respect Yes, because they're not admitting what role they played in the mess that developed through the marriage mm -hmm. because it's never a one-way street. Yes. And even if one party is 80 or 90 or 95% responsible for the breakup of the marriage, both parties contributed to that situation. Mm -hmm. in, in one thing in your industry you, you've, uh, you do is, I know you, you assess the quality of the parents. How do you delineate that, the quality of a parent versus the quality of a spouse in conversations with your clients? I really don't do too much assessment as their quality of a spouse because that's no longer going to be a, a factor. Mm -hmm. One of the two of them was a lousy spouse or they were both lousy spouses. Sure. So whether they were good spouses or bad spouses has no real bearing on them going forward as a good parent. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I'm glad you said that part right there because sometimes we just let that touch, we let the experience of being married to someone or people can let the experience of being married to someone influence the respect you have for them as a parent. So to your point, somebody could potentially have been a horrible spouse, but, but to remove it's a, to try to be objective, which is hard to do, which is incredibly hard to do in, in family and in marriage with kids. But is the mother of my children or is the father of my children if, you know, from the other side, how does that individual do as a parent? And let me main, maintain respect, even if it's just for that. Because in your world, it's not so much, if you're not discerning if they were a great spouse or not, that's not what you do. But you're looking at, is this person a great parent that I can advocate for? Exactly, and when I look at the other side, the other party, I look at their actions as well, because there are, uh, people, when I'm representing a mom, for example, mm -hmm. that the dad is so bitter and so angry that <sighs> she's leaving him that all he can think about is what a lousy wife she was mm -hmm. and then relates that to the children and calls the mom names and, and puts the mom down when for 10, 15, 20 years, she was a great parent. Mm -hmm. He allowed her to be the perfect parent, the good parent, the the involved parent. But now that she's made a decision, it's usually what he calls a moral decision. Mm -hmm. She's made a moral decision that he doesn't agree with. And so now she's a terrible mother because wow. she's made this moral decision to move out of the marriage. I see. 
And uh, now everything she did for the years of the marriage doesn't count for anything because of this one decision that she's mm-hmm. made. Right. And, and instead of um, looking at all of the evidence, if you will, they look at the one thing and allow that to almost poison and every other thing, that, every other good thing that, that they've done right. But, um, but yeah, then I tell you that, that objectivity has to be so challenging to keep from their uh, perspective in the heat of the emotions and of the, of the pain, really. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing when I see somebody who's bitter, I think underneath that there's, there was pain caused somewhere in that journey. There is pain underneath that bitterness. Well, and I do. I completely understand both sides. When a man leaves his wife, oftentimes it's for another woman. Mm-hmm. When a woman leaves her husband, oftentimes it's for another man. And I can understand the ego aspect of that decision and how it impacts. But the negativity, I like the fact that you use the word poison mm-hmm. because it is very poisonous to allow that negativity to spill over into your interactions with your children. Yes, yes. Now, and now you have this weight of responsibility in what you do. And what part of what you do is you're asking what is best for the children. Yes. Tell me, tell me about, I mean, the weight of it. Tell me about the challenge of it. Tell me about what, what that's like for you. That's a, that's a huge question to be asking. It, it is a big burden. I take my role in um, advocacy for the parent to be a very critical role. Mm-hmm. I don't take it lightly. I feel very responsible for the path that the child is going to be on if my client wins or loses. Sure. And so I really try to analyze and prepare thoroughly, get my witnesses, do everything I can to be able to tell my client's story the best way I can. Yes, and uh, and I, I I admire the the dedication to thinking about that because we know, I mean, you're really t- we're talking about the next generation. Correct. And one thing that I've seen along the way, and you know, people have asked me, okay, well, even like some of my volunteer work, they're like, hey, well, wh- why why what, why do you even spend time with people that are you know I go as a motivational teacher, I go to get a chance to go to go into prisons. And I, when I go, um, sometimes people hear about it and they're like, why would you do that? And what I tell people is you, you just don't understand often how interconnected we are. And then so somebody in your children's classroom is a, is a child of somebody who is in, is in prison. It, it just happens all the time. And the more I talk about it, the more I find out more people, our family members, our friends, our friends of friends, are, and, and I wouldn't even have known, but just because I'm in that space. But I bring that up because what you're doing in looking at what's best for these children, and I could tell that you, you're making decisions with integrity, what's, what's ideal, um, how do the parents interact, how are they speaking, what are they doing, you're using these pillars of great relationship building is what I heard from you and asking what's best for them. But then these children are going to grow up and touch a lot of people's lives. We never understand how the little things we do impact others. Mm -hmm. And how these children are raised is going to impact 
the kind of parents they become because we do emulate our parents. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we will go opposite from what our parents did because we didn't like certain traits. Exactly. But many of our parenting skills come from having watched our parents. Mm -hmm. Whether those were good parenting skills, mediocre or excellent, we follow those patterns unless as adults we make conscious decisions to improve our parenting our behaviors yes to do better than how we were raised yes you, you're speaking my language right now so conscious decisions to improve again that's one of my quotes i'm taking away from today is that that's who i want to be again i'm not a parent but the principle is universal and again as a coach as a speaker if my people could get that one principle of i'm going to make a conscious decision to improve and the people I'm going to touch, they're going to they're going to be touch. I'm going to be interacting with people. And they're going to get an improved version of me every time. So I'm one person right now, but next week or or next week I see you at BNI. Hopefully, I'm I'm making these conscious decisions to improve me, so that when I see you in you know six days at our next BNI meeting, that I'm an improved version. But what if we could all just do that, as parents, as children, as as coworkers, as neighbors, just the conscious decisions to improve. I love that. Well, one of the things I say is how you were raised, your background, you cannot change. Mm -hmm. How you allow that to impact your future is your decision. Yes. And and something as a speaker that it's, it's pivotal for me to do is to share what I've been through, especially as I'm talking to the underprivileged. Um, I know I had an event at the San, uh, Greater San Marcos Youth Council, and these children have been through a lot. Um, they, and they've ultimately have been removed from their homes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what I'm asking as a speaker is how can I connect? You know, how can I show that I've been through hard times? Because I don't know their situation. I don't know the nuances and the details, but I know pain. I know the pain of losing my dad at 17 and my mom telling me that your dad shot himself and he committed suicide. I know, I know that pain. Mm-hmm. And so I know what abandonment feels like. I know what being alone feels like. I know what it's like to feel, was I loved enough? Was I good enough? Was I strong enough? Was I smart enough? Did I perform well enough? I know all of these challenges. And but But to your point about not allowing the experiences we have to be a hindrance on us, but just going, okay, now that's part of what I tell people now is I, I bring it up often to people I interact with, not because I want people to feel bad for me. That's not it. No, no, no. But one, two, it's to connect. But two, because every challenge that I face here going forward, I know that mountain that I've climbed with my, losing my dad. And I remember failing pre-cal with the 17, failing Spanish with the 40 in high school as a junior. And just going through that, you know, sleeping through the morning, waking up in the afternoon, going to school at that point. But but then I was able to overcome that. And some pivotal questions I asked during that period was, did my, did my dad have peace? Did he have joy? Did he have hope? Questions I, I'd never really be able to answer for him, but can I answer those questions for me? Can I pursue a life where I have joy, hope, and peace? And then if I'm fortunate to be able to share that joy, hope, and peace with other people, but not allowing our circumstances and our experiences to dictate our present or our future. Well, I think that brings up a really good point because I was a child custody litigant. My daughter's father tried to get custody Mm -hmm. of her 
a year after our divorce. And so because I went through the process of being a child custody litigant, I can really empathize with my clients. I understand their, their fears, their concerns, and I can let them know that I know where they are, mm-hmm. I know where they're going, and from the advocate's standpoint, I can assess the potential outcome, and I can share that with them. Yes. My clients always know, well, what is my chance of winning? Mm-hmm. They always, and I never know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say they're going to win. You know, I can try and assess whether they have a better than a 50-50 shot at yes. their case, but, um, and I, I try to reassure mm-hmm. them of I, I use the scales of justice and say, you know, all of this evidence goes on this side, all of her evidence goes on that side, mm-hmm. what weight the trier of fact, the judge or jury is going to give, I don't know, but based on my years of experience mm-hmm. trying cases, I think you have a decent shot, or yes. I don't think you have, and when I don't think they have a decent shot, I tell them, mm-hmm. you know, d- you should save your money for your college education for your children instead of trying to pursue. We will do the best we can to get you as much visitation. And now in Texas, that's quite a bit. You can get a lot of visitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't pursue getting custody. Yes. And, and something that I wanted to come back to is what are some of the stats that you've heard that are relevant for your clientele to know, know about um, that you've used and you've learned that help people to understand um, that the importance of a great lawyer and and how it, it can play out as far as the the mother getting custody or the father's getting custody. Well, statistically, I've always found that in about 90% of the cases, there is no custody battle. The children are going to live with their mom because dad works, he travels, he's mm-hmm. got his career, he's not been an involved father and I'm not trying to say he was a poor parent he just was not there for the day-to-day activities Mm -hmm. of the children and he also doesn't want the responsibility because it is a tremendous responsibility to be the primary caretaker of the children so in the vast majority of the cases there's no battle Mm -hmm. in those cases which are about you know maybe 10 percent of the cases uh, maybe even 20 nowadays But in those cases where there is a custody decision to be made, the majority of the time the dads win. That's surprising. I keep going. And the reason that they win is because they come in with really good facts. Either the mother has a drinking problem, a drug Mm -hmm. problem, a mental illness problem. And so when those problems appear in a case, they give the dad a a great advantage. And so, um, and when he's a really good dad, People want to give him a gold medal yes. because there are not that many involved caretaking fathers mm-hmm. who really take that role seriously. Yes. Another great quote. There are not that many involved caretaking fathers who take that role seriously. Again, again, for the fathers listening out there, I think that's one of those. It's a standard to aim for. It's a standard to hold yourself to. How can I be an involved? How can I be involved in that that one word, how can I be a, a great caretaker? How can I be connected? And you just don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen in your future. But it, but even if nothing comes out, like as far as child litigation in the future, 
being involved is a reward in and of itself. Yes, it is. And there's a lot of men out there who are wonderful providers and great husbands, but they're not involved with their children. Mm -hmm. They don't know their children's friends. They don't know their activities and their schedules, their likes and dislikes, because they're distant. Yes. And especially with all of our distractions nowadays, right? I mean, put the TV on, get the news, you know, phone, text message, or Facebook, Instagram, you know, I mean, pick a social media outlet. There's something throwing our way to be distracted and disconnected from the people that are right in front of us. Well, that, that's very true. And I am not being critical of a man who is a good provider. That's <laughs> exactly. their role. That's mm-hmm. what they should do. Mm-hmm. But if they're a really good provider and uninvolved, then should they be seeking custody of their children right. at the time of a divorce? That's my issue mm-hmm. is if if you want to continue to be a good career man, that's fine. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. Sure. But don't try to inject yourself into the children's lives when you haven't been there for them up till now. Right. Wow. Uh, I think we shared, you've shared so many great principles that I think uh, people listening in can take some principles to take, take away um, some key life lessons to really um, to improve and to be, to be better, whether it's fathers, I think better. Again, I heard her principles all over the place that can be used to help people. Well, awesome. Well, um, I do want to bring it in for a landing. And I thank you so much for your time thus far. But I want to bring it, bring it in for a landing. So your, your brand, you're focused, you're successful, you're driven, um, you, you focus on integrity. So what do you do as an attorney with all, all of these responsibilities? What do you do to unwind? I love to travel. Mm-hmm. And I, I travel extensively. And I always have my next trip planned. And while I'm at a trip, I start planning the next wow, trip. Okay. And so on a day when the world is a burden, when things are tough, I will think about I'm leaving in two months for the Caribbean cruise. Yes. And so that will keep me going. And I'll think I'm doing this work so that I can play later. Yes. Like, uh, I'll pay now to play later. I, I like that. And, and my wife is big on that. And for me, um, it's it's more of a I think it's an internal mental challenge that some of the break and the I think the trips even I think for me like vacations almost um, didn't exist I mean it, to me I tease but it was like if we went to Corpus that was like a big deal or something um, but for my wife um, that's such a big big pillar for her because of the amount of service she does mm-hmm. to needy people and I think yours is a complete different level because it's you're thinking about phys- the physical um, what's physically best what's emotionally best, what's mentally best for these children in their setting, in their home. So there's a big weight you're carrying. And I, I love hearing that you have a great outlet. And that's also fun. And it's, 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 you build great memories traveling. Oh, I, I think that events and memories and experiences are so critically important to the point that I tell people that traveling is an educational experience. Yes. You learn cultures, you learn places. My granddaughters have been to 20 some odd countries. Love that. And the youngest is 11. Mm-hmm. And it helps them even with their geography lessons. Yes. And uh, so, favorite place you've ever been? Oh, 
far and away Hawaii. Hawaii. That's yes. one you've been, you've been to a couple of times, a few times. I've been to several islands and yeah. I love Hawaii. And anytime mm-hmm. somebody invites me to go on a trip, um, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I went with a girlfriend uh, to, when she took her kids for spring break. Mm-hmm. And I went with another friend and it, we actually ended up spending my birthday that year. I've spent two birthdays in oh, Hawaii. Oh, look at you. That's awesome. Okay. Hawaii. So Hawaii is the number one. Yes, for me it is. Okay. I like it. I like it. I've been once. I've been once. Actually, we're on the beach and I, and I, I my phone slipped out of my pocket as I was in the water. And it was there for like 45 minutes. I could not find it, but we found somebody who was at one of those kiosks. And sure enough, he got his equipment and he found it and it still worked. Wow, that's amazing. So uh, I, I know um, th- this podcast is not branded by by Apple, but it was an iPhone. <laughs> well, I had a bad experience a number of years ago. I was getting a pedicure the day before I was leaving for Guatemala, mm-hmm. and my phone fell in the bowl. Oh, no. And so I had service issues the first oh, couple yeah. of days in Guatemala oh, as wow. the phone dried out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes the, 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 the sometimes the water. Um, I think it was supposed to be water resistant, not like waterproof, at least for for the iPhone. But it ended up having some longevity. But sometimes when the phones aren't waterproof, yeah, that just that could be a bummer. It was tough, especially being out of the country and mm-hmm. not able to go to the local Sprint store and exactly. get it fixed. Yes. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It meant a lot to um, to have some time with you. Number one, but number two. Um, to learn about what you do and your passion behind it. And I think number three is the principles you shared to be able to help people out there. So I think it's going to help a lot of people. Well, thank you very much. I hope that whoever listens to this will be able to glean some little nuggets to take with them for the rest of their lives. Come on, I love it. But if you're listening, this is the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life.